the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning and welcome to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. I'm Rob Walgate, sitting with Dave Zanotti, CEO of the American Policy Roundtable. Honored to be filling in this morning for Bob. The best radio open that's out there. It is. We hear hear programming from all over the country. I never grow tired of hearing that open. I like hearing it every day. I want to hear it so many times that I can memorize it, that I know what's coming next. And when I close my eyes at night, I can still hear it and I can still repeat it because those words are powerful. For me too, it, though, to take it to the sports context, it, it's like a little bit of the, the pregame intro. It's a little bit of the, you know, a little bit of the hype music. We've got multiple producers here today as well, Andrew, and then we've got Alan C. Duncan, an assistant today, who's wearing his Cleveland Browns shirt today. And what people don't know is he has many alter egos, including some work that he does in the high-tech world of video production for the NFL. And so he's got his Go Team shirt on. He actually he gave us a little locker room bump right he before did. we got started. He did. He got excited. And this is big for us today because we are coming to you live from the bunker, from the headquarters of the American Policy Roundtable, the public square, iVoters.com. This is the first door opening of the American Mission Center. It is. Which is to have been able to secure the highest end broadcast technology to be able to take uh, the public policy side of what we do to radio affiliates and friends of the public square and of the American Policy Roundtable. And there is no greater friend in the country than Bob France, and no more qualified, more important, more substantive talk show host in America than Bob France. Yeah, we have a great relationship with Bob and um, the work we do at the roundtable in the public square. But we get the question a lot. Let's let's dive in just for a moment. We get the question a lot. 
Now, what is it you guys do at the roundtable? Yeah. What is it you do at the public square? And we talk about public policy and media and research and education. What does that mean? Well, there's a couple of ways to put this together. And sometimes using um, illustrations is helpful because you say, well, what's a think tank? What's a public policy organization? How does all that work? And then there's the other side of it, too, is that we grew up in the Northeast Ohio area here in western Pennsylvania. And so we're kind of hometown boys. Therefore, we don't get much honor on our own hometown. Uh, you know, our some of our radio programming that's heard all over the country that is actually uh, in, in high, some of the number one programming and stations around the country isn't even on the air here. Because, you know, all those guys, you know, it's, it's the local it's thing. Just, just it's Dave it's, and Rob. Yeah, it's the, it's the, they'll Cleveland. go away. They'll it's go the away. Cleveland thing. Okay. We talk more about that, but what do we do? First illustration is pie. All right. I'm a big fan of apple pie and apple pie is my big thing. And that was my phone being dropped to the other direction. All right. Just so you know what that ambient noise was. Apple pie, PIE, principles, issues, and elections. That's what we do. Principles, issues, and elections. We teach America every day. The founding principles on how this country came together because America, at its subset, most basic foundational definition, America is a set of ideas matched with commitments. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the government. Consent, see, I said that, the consent of the government. No, no, the consent of the governed. You see, the principles and the commitment. So principles, issues, whatever the issue of the day is that needs to be addressed with those principles we take on wherever we may be. And elections, we have the American Election Institute and I voters where we believe that the most important thing we can do is to send people into public service who will serve without partisan commitment, who will serve principle over party, principle over power. So principles, issues, elections. That's how I remember this. We just It's as simple as pie. And the organization started roughly 40 years ago. 1980. Yeah. It's hard hard to believe when you think about through the years. And and as you mentioned, maybe started in this pocket of Northeast Ohio, and now it's spread across the country to become the American Policy Roundtable. And I will tell you that when this organization started, Ohio was trending toward a much more liberal state. And it's now trending toward a much more conservative state. I cannot say any, any one single organization has ever, could ever take credit for that. But we had an opportunity to play a role. And as that expansion has happened throughout Ohio and around the country, what we've seen is uh, our radio program, the Public Square, grow from a two-minute daily program to now a 60-minute weekly and now a 30-minute daily. So it's been fun to be part of the expansion process to see what what lies ahead. And we've had the opportunity to sit in and analyze and discuss with people around the country when it comes to these things you talked about, when it comes to pie, but uh, we really appreciate Bob when he opens the door and allows us to sit in his chair yeah, and, and talk to his audience. Yeah, and we support of Bob because yes. talk radio is the single most important dynamic of communication in this country in regards to ideas and public policy. This is the most important medium. So a second illustration about us is think of NPR. We're the other guys. <laughs> We're the good guys. Okay? We do the research, but we do more than just talk about it and take consultants talking points and then create pretty stories around them we do the work of public policy whether it's in the courtroom 
or the boardroom, whether it's in the in the hall of the halls of the legislature or in the governor's mansions, whether it's in the halls of Congress, on the White House, or before the Supreme Court. We've been in all of those venues and have executed successfully policy initiatives for over 40 years. We play the game every day, and we know how the game is played, and we do it from a nonpartisan perspective. So we're going to tell you the truth about what's going on as we understand it. Well, and that's one thing you mentioned, the nonpartisan perspective. I think about it doesn't matter what letter is next to someone's name. We've probably alienated them at some point because they don't get a pass or they don't get attacked just based upon that letter. We want to talk about truth and where that truth comes from. And if people and this is where we get in trouble because people expect us to fall into the stereotypes that they see on cable news. (laughs) We don't do that. They expect us to play shirts and skins. We won't do that. Truth is truth precedes party. It did so in the founding of our country, and it must do so again if we're ever going to get back to where we started. We sued John Kasich before it was cool to not like John Kasich. <laughs> um, That's good. Yeah, we did. We did. We, we, we did. certainly did. We, we certainly did. We sat with him before he ran for governor, and right. we knew we were in big trouble. <laughs> we said we oh. Ohio was in big trouble. <laughs> we said, oh, this may not be good. Yeah, we can tell people now what John Kasich told us, because, you know, he's not governor anymore. We don't break confidence. All right? We right. were very careful about these sort of things. But he was, because he didn't just tell us, he told the whole world. He's running for governor. He says, we, you know, he said, now you're going to ask me where I stand on p- policy positions. And, and I'm not going to tell you. We said, okay. Elect me and you'll figure it out. When, when you elect me, I'll let you know. We said, well, thank you very much, John. This meeting's over. And we left. It's what usually happens. We get one meeting with the highly partisan, ego-driven politicians, and then they realize that we are not going to bow, and then there's trouble. Yep, that, that's how that meeting went. So we're honored to be sitting in for uh, for Bob today as he travels on, on some college visits. I'll say this. He's not on the air to say it. I'm going to say it. You know, his son is a high school football player. And his son is a stud high school football player. So they're traveling around doing some things that are going to be a lot of fun. And I think you're going to see that last name a few more times in the next couple of years to get to know him. But uh, we have a lot of issues, a lot of things to dive into today that we're going to talk about. Uh, 2020 election, Supreme Court. There's so many things that are on the plate that, that we're going to take a look at. Big article it, on John Roberts that's out, interestingly enough, by CNN. <laughs> explaining to us how the Supreme Court should be run and American public policy as well. CNN, that's amazing. I wonder what graduate degrees in government those journalists have. Well, the thing about CNN, too, they probably had... I feel like sometimes when you watch CNN, because we monitor all all the networks, I feel like it is a presidential debate because they have 38 and a half people up there to have a discussion. (laughs) I mean, it's... I I, I don't know... Strength in numbers. I would like to see... Here's what I would like to see. I would like to see the CNN payroll on amount of time spent talking versus how much they're paid per second. Because if you think about those people that are sitting up there, they get very little time, and the checks we know they're cashing aren't little. You're amazing when it comes to numbers. (laughs) Amazing. I never thought about that before. I thought you were going to go a completely different direction about that. So what I would like to say is it would be great if, if people finally realized that all those cable news shows at night are nothing more than talk radio with a camera turned on. So you could save so much more time just to listen to talk radio during the day. And then think of all the time you could spend with your family and your friends and reading and, and, and praying and doing wonderful things that you could do and not have to watch all that nonsense. It's what, in the fact of the matter is most people don't. It comes as a surprise to folks to realize that on any given night, no more than three to five million people in the whole country are tuned into the nonsense that we call cable news in the evening. Yeah, so we're going to head into our first break. 
And when we get back, we're going to dive into 2020. John Roberts. John Roberts. We're going to dive into the Supreme Court. We have a lot of things to talk about. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, Rob Walgate, Dave Zanotti, filling in for Bob today, sitting in and just diving into a little bit of what lies ahead in 2020. And before we get there, we we mentioned an article on CNN that discussed the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, and what lies ahead in the next two weeks. They have 24 cases that they are yet to... It's your favorite time of the year. Oh, every year we wait until June. It's like Christmas for you, right? I can't stand it. We have nine people in black robes that tell us what our laws are. It makes no sense to me. Like, I think about the founders. I think about their writings. If they thought the judiciary was going to set the rules... They, they're setting the rules. They're not saying what are, you know, what, what deciding how they're interpreted or anything like that. They set the rules. Okay. Quick history test. How many articles in the U.S. Constitution? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's like the moment of Hamilton. Seven. All right. Uh, Article one. Yeah. The legislative branch. The legislative branch. Article two. The executive executive branch. Presidency. Yes. Article three. The courts. Right, this was all done, by the way, without notes. But they got to them. The answer's correct. They got to them third. Because they're the least important. Because, and that's the reason also that the executive second, Article One is where the power is. The power's with the people. The power's with the representatives. And if you think about the way that our government was constructed, moving from the Continental Congress to the United States Congress, Moving from the United States of America are, in plural, meeting together in a congressional agreement, then con- creating, if you will, a new form of a federal government, then the Continental Congress surrendering its existence and authority into that new Congress. Then you think about on a calendar, sending this new constitution out to be ratified, then once it's ratified, how do you start the new government? What what election happened first? Well, the election first happened for representatives to Congress, Article 1. Because until Congress is in place and moving, the government is not turned on. So Congress is seated. Then we have a presidential election. Because you can't have a presidential election right. before you have a Congress, because Congress is responsible with counting the votes of the electoral con- uh, uh, the electoral college, because in essence the president is to be elected from the states, from the people in the states, and then eventually we'll get to the courts. Right. So, so we've got that situation um, happening, and then the third part is the courts, and you can't have the courts until the president can appoint justices. And you cannot have justices uh, seated until they're ratified by the Congress. Article 1, Article 2, Article 3. The original Supreme Court. How many members on the original Supreme Court? This stat just fascinates me. Six. Six. That was enough. That was enough, number one. Also, 
people are thinking six. That's an even number. You can't. They never dreamed that there would be enough division. Maybe one or two wouldn't agree, but the thought of three, three and three, the thought of not coming to an agreement and having a tie, just it wasn't reality. It wasn't supposed to happen. So the court was clearly in the Federalist Papers interpreted as being the weakest, least necessary branch. It was designed to be an appellate court system with very limited jurisdiction and under the control of the Congress. The Congress would control both its size, its appointments, and its jurisdiction. So you're saying under the control of Congress, would you say in today's era that the Congress has dropped the ball and failed in their responsibility to control the court? By intention. Because it's so much easier to basically say as a lawmaker to people who are besieging your office wanting a reform to simply say, well, that's, the courts won't hold, abide by that, so we don't have to mess with it. Right. So it won't pass muster with the courts. Therefore, don't worry about it. We can't. I'm going to put you on the spot again then. I'm just going to, this is just going to be fire questions. This happens, this happens in the legislative process in the states as well as the federal government. This is just going to be fire questions at DZ Day. Okay. That's it. So, but uh, that being said, we talk about the courts, the importance thereof. They're lifetime appointments. Should they be lifetime appointments? No. In the beginning, life expectancy for an average male was 54 years of age, which means John Roberts would have never made it to the court. So, so we're talk- actually he would have been there for four years. We're talking then basically a mandatory retirement age. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Speaking of Chief Justice Roberts, and this is something I'll say that I looked up and it surprised me. Isn't it amazing that the fundamental ideas of the principles of our form of constitutional government make sense, but we forget them, and now we come up with this circus (laughs) every June where the black robes who aren't elected tell us what the laws are. And in the next two weeks, those black robes will hand down the decisions on 24 cases that have yet to be decided. By the way, it wouldn't matter if they were red robes or white robes. For those of you that are Harry Potter fans, it doesn't matter what house they're a part of. It's a bad house. (laughs) So they're going to hand down their decision, and we're going to skim through it and jump to the back and the front and see who is where and which way right is left and all that fun stuff. But the one thing that did surprise me, I shouldn't say surprise me, but um, in Reliving History, Chief Justice Roberts has been on the court now for almost 15 years. Yeah. 2005. Yeah. I, I'd and it was a mistake that. to put him there, in my opinion. You've said that from the beginning. I, w- I, w- I want to say that you've said that from the beginning, right. that you were not a John Roberts fan the moment he was, a- it was nominated. A, it was a tremendous mistake that the Bush administration made. They should have made uh, Justice Scalia the chief justice and then gone looking for another justice. It was a mistake to bring John Roberts to the court and to particularly to bring him to the court as the chief justice as opposed to um, to promoting from within. And if Scalia had said, I don't want to be the chief justice, the president should have said, I'm sorry, sir, your country requires it. You have to move over two seats whether you want to or not, because I am appointing you. And he should have done that. Now, some would say that... John- and let's remember that it was the same George W. Bush who tried to tell us that Harriet Myers <laughs> was supposed to be on the Supreme Court. Right. And we were one of the fact that there, there was two people. It was us and Ann Coulter who who registered number one and two on the internet in screaming bloody murder over the fact that the, that they were about to put Harriet Myers on the Supreme Court. Well, John Roberts is going to be, and we'll dive into this af- after the break. John Roberts is going to most likely be a decisive vote in a couple of key issues that are in front of the court currently. And, and let me tell you why. 
we got a minute, right? Let me we got you, one minute. Let me tell you why, why John Roberts bothered me from the beginning. Because he comes from the academic community that has this internal game that they play. They're not conservatives. They're more interested in what people think about them than they are about what's important. More about that after the break. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. Great to be with you today. Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti sitting in for Bob. And hello to Bob as he's traveling. I, I know I'm sure he's listening. He's monitoring, make sure we're holding down the fort well. And People not, don't realize how big he is. No. We do not want to cross Bob France. Yeah. <laughs> Shake his hand. It'll yeah. swallow yours, right? Yes. Yes. And I mean big athletic big. I don't mean oh. like radio big. big. I mean Big guy. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Big. Um, we we're talking about the Supreme Court before we went to break. And 24 cases remain that we're going to hear decisions on or read decisions on. But there's two that are going to draw the headlines, I feel. And John Roberts is most likely going to be at the center of both of them. Because some people feel that they like John Roberts because he is, let's say, neutral or not willing to be political. And others would say, well, that means he's not willing to take a stand when it comes to legal yeah. legal matters John that have been Roberts set. John worries me because he, he um, you know, here's the word I'm tempted to use. He governs. And that's not his job. That's not his job, number one. Philosophically, he showed his true colors on the Obamacare decision when he rewrote the law from the bench. The most egregious example of judicial activism perhaps in the history of the country. I mean, we're talking we're talking Dred Scott, Roe versus Wade, Brown versus Board of Education. We're talking take all the big 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 decisions. Nobody holds a candle to what Roberts did in interpreting the intentions of Congress. So in essence to please the crowd. And it's not his job to counterbalance what he feels the legislature had done. All he needed to do was to send it back to Congress and say, "Doesn't make sense, do it over." Fix it. Fix it. Yeah. Well, he's going to have the opportunity to weigh in on two important issues. Uh, the first being... You know, it's Honestly, it's not that tough. You wouldn't think. It's really not. If you stay with the intentions and, and with, with what was laid down as instructions, it's not that well, difficult. And, and before we get to these two things, because now you got me thinking and going on, it, it's amazing when it comes to political circles that people talk about the Supreme Court, and I, I'm thinking about folks on the left that are always screaming. One, the, the one they want overturned immediately is Citizens United, correct? Yeah, and that's terrifying, by the well, way. So they want Citizens United. The ones who want to overturn Citizens United, and the reason that they want to do it is terrifying. Right. They want to limit free speech. They exactly. want to have control. Yeah. So that's t so the people on the left say yes, that needs to be overturned. But then you look at the other side 
uh, for folks on the left, and they scream, Roe v. Wade is precedent and should never be touched. So right. they only want the Supreme Court to weigh in. Right. The whole when concept of stare decisis, the precedent of the court, is supposed to have some substantive meaning. Well, yeah. and, and I remember the first time, you know, I ever was invited to speak at a law school. I always joke, you know, law schools would never accept me as a student, but they would let me come and address the class. And we talked about the Declaration. We talked about the Constitution. One of the kids raised their hand and said, you know, we don't really dive into that. We just study precedent. So what? So if someone made a mistake in the past, shouldn't there be a remedy to fix it? The culture of the Supreme Court today is, in essence, a, a um, the Article Three branch of government has now become the most elitist branch of the government and the one that people fear the most. I've stood before that court. I've had my 45 minutes in front of that court. I understand what that feels like. Excuse me, I don't want to say it that way. I sat with those who stood on behalf of a case we developed in the court. I wasn't there. I'm not an attorney. I only play one on television. Right. But but I sat on the front row while our friends uh, did their job. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to win and lose in that venue. I know what it's like to be before those people. And it is scary. It is incredibly well, intimidating. It's like some out of Star Wars. That's what I was going to ask you because I was not I was not there that day. I hadn't yet to be on staff of the American Policy Roundtable. But you sat on the front row of the Supreme Court um, is it that awe and intimidation factor that, I mean, is it the seven-year-old that's going to the principal's office? It's the and only don't... thing in government that we've had the privilege to do that actually frightened me. Um, being with the president ha- hasn't bothered me. Governors, senators, you know, arguing with senators, uh, getting thrown out of meetings, uh, testifying before committees, being on the street, gathering petitions, helping people run for office, put up yard signs, take down yard signs, all the stuff that you do. I've been spit on. I've been punched, all that stuff. Nothing. Threat- threatened to be run over by a bus, but yeah, not out, ran over uh, by a bus. Right. Out loud by the gambling industry. Yeah. The, the death threats, all that stuff. Uh, uh, and that doesn't make me a hero. It just makes me a citizen. Okay. I've just, I've been in the game for 40 years. The only time I was actually frightened it was in front of the Supreme Court. First off, it's like being in Star Wars. Everything is big and you're little. And these huge people come out, the bell rings and out they come. And the thing about it that's so terrifying is we worked on a case for six years. In six separate courts we went through. And I realized that in 45 minutes, there will be no more words spoken about this. And these people have the ability to say yes or no to something that will impact millions of lives. And they hold that power. That terrified made me want to throw up. It terrified me. And unless you're there in person, you can see pictures, you can see drawings, but you haven't seen video from inside the court. No, never. You're not, you're not even allowed to bring paper and pencil in the court. You are searched before you go in. You may not have a pen or paper on your physical being. You will be immediately thrown out. You can't take notes. We had to have lawyers in, and, and the law firm we were working with actually has court monitors that are seated who literally memorize the order of the justices speaking and memorize the questions. Each one's assigned to justice, and then you come back out and reconstruct the case on the debrief afterwards. Yeah, See, it, it, it's not right. It's not right. It's not supposed to be this way, and they love the power. And Washington loves the power. The court is its own community inside Washington, D.C., and its own community inside academia. And they love the power, and they are flat out too powerful. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Well, yeah, you think about all the drama that surrounds the nomination of a Supreme Court nominee in today's day and age. I mean, look at, I mean, we only have to look back a few months and Brett Kavanaugh. And what happened with that and how the news cycle, a 20, I don't know how a 24 hour news cycle can get 
larger, but it managed to get larger <laughs> during that confirmation process. Yeah, that was it, that it, was it, a it really storm. did. I yeah. mean, we're going back and looking at handwritten journals from 30, what, 35 years ago that yeah. he was writing down in high school. I mean, think about this. Yeah, the world stopped during those hearings. It was quite fascinating to watch and observe that, which in and of itself tells you why it's wrong. And by the way, this is not a left or right argument. This is a constitutional argument. You see, if you have a system that's based upon the consent of the governed and you have nine unelected people making decisions telling you what the law is, you are literally operating against your founding principle. But they love it that way because they love the power. And Congress loves it that way because they can delegate well, the tough decisions off to the courts. Yeah, they stay de- elected and keep making $171,000 a year and a million dollars in a budget to run their office. Where are you going to get that job in Cleveland? Well, and they're going to get a, they're, they're advocating for a pay raise, but the deflection that happens is amazing. But let's talk about the two, two issues that are going to be at the forefront of the decisions that many around the country are waiting for. The first being the question of citizenship. Should that be on the census? We're taking a census in 2020. We do every 10 years. It determines um, well, why not? money that's delegated no. uh, based on the number of people that live there. It determines um, the big thing it determines is congressional representation. So the and, question is before the court, can, can the can the Census Bureau, under the administrative branch of government, which means under the executive branch of, of government, put a, a, a question on the census that asks you, are you a citizen? Are you a citizen of the United States? You don't have to answer the census. No, you don't have to answer And you can census. lie. And, and you can lie. No. So what are you afraid of? I don't, I don't know if legally you can lie on that document. You may be called in so how they gonna prove it they're not because you're probably not putting your name or anything else on there but i'm uh, not recommending anybody break the law i'm just saying the reality is people lie on the census right 1870 to 1950 there was a question regarding citizenship on the census it was pulled off um so they're saying to put it back on and a lot of people are advocating for the question because it does deal with congressional representation. It does deal with the electoral Whoa, college. Whoa, stop right there. How does it deal with congressional representation? Well, because... And why does that matter? Well, it matters because today the census is done, and it doesn't count citizens. It just counts residents. And you're determined... Or occupants. Or occupants. Or whoever answers or, the question. Or how many people you say live there, they're going to determine it by. So then that number is divided, in essence, by 435, and the states are allocated... They're members of Congress from that number. And that's how we get the number for the Electoral College. So not only does it your representative, so therefore, it's an easy way to go to say, well, the more people that are in a state, the more congressional representation they have, and the more say they have in a presidential election, even if those people are here illegally. So if California is a sanctuary state, the, the reward they get for that is more members of Congress. And more power and more say. We'll dive in a little deeper after the break. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. And if I had a theater for your house, maybe an ice chester field or an auto. I'm heading to Cedar Point right now. (laughs) Wait till the show's over. I'm out. I need a little help carrying this thing through. We will go to Cedar Point this afternoon. 
overcast skies. Today would be a great day to go to Cedar Point. I always like the days like this because you know the lines may be a touch shorter. Yeah. Because it may have scared some Get people there away. July 4th. That's the best way. Yeah. yeah. Scare them away. So. Sorry, but the Magnum is still the greatest roller coaster in the world. I don't care about all the other new um, ones. It's still the best one. So my son will, will go a little off topic for a second. First time we go to Cedar Point. I said, no, we're on Supreme Court. Roller coasters would be exactly <laughs> on topic. I said, you have no choice. We're in, we're in, we're there with friends and cousins and everything. And I said, he'd never ridden a roller coaster. He, I think he was eight at the time, but he was tall, so he was tall enough to ride the Millennium. I said, you're riding the Millennium, and he says, well, I, I don't, I don't think I want to. And I said, well, you have no choice. You're going to ride it. And um, some of the kids were getting out of line crying and not doing it. And he hadn't never experienced a roller coaster. So if you're going to experience one, you might as well experience the Millennium first. Uh, it was a bit of a scary experience for him. Um, he yelled at the top of the first hill, Mom, I love you. <laughs> and I asked him afterwards why he yelled that. And he said because he thought he'd never talk to her again. So, But he made it. All's good. He enjoys roller again. coasters. Again, write it again. Right. Let's go again. Right? All right. But dad has to sit down and digest before we can do that again. But Supreme Court roller coaster. So we're talking citizenship. citizenship. Yeah. And, and the point is that if you're a sanctuary state and you open your doors to all kinds of non-citizens or residents who answer the census, you will end up getting more congressional seats, which means you have more power. That's the kind of regional factionalism that the framers were very concerned about and wrote about in the Federalist Papers over and over and over again. Uh, different sets of rules, different sets of power, and then people begin to compete for the power in factions based on agendas and rules and all of this stuff. And that's what we're, we're experiencing right now. History proves this is not good. The idea of America is out of many, one. Not 50 tribal entities vying for the power under the circus tent of two political parties. And I think... What's frustrating or what can be frustrating is the thought that when you talk about these things, people on the left will paint those that are discussing it, like us, as anti-immigration. No. And that, that yeah. couldn't be further from the Or truth. racist, one or, of the Yes, others. yes. Yeah. Or, yeah, they'll take it all the way to racist. But it's yeah. not... Which is weird because my grandparents were immigrants. Yeah. I don't get and it. there was a process and a way to go through right. the process right. to be here and do things. And and uh, that's not what's happening. And the problem is, is when you have elected officials that are enabling the illegality By the of way, it all. I, th- I think we just described why Congress doesn't fix the immigration problem. It helps get them elected. It helps get them elected and keep their parties in power. Well, and, and do does cable news have any interest in seeing the problem solved either? Because um, how many reports are they doing from the border? How many people are they sending everywhere? So this is what's really driving the question before the Supreme Court on whether or not you can ask a citizenship question. The way the Constitution requires we do a census, and the way that I understand the constitutional language is if they want to ask you if you've got an electric toaster in your house, they can ask you. You don't have to answer, but they can ask you just about anything they want. And if you look at the survey questions, there's all kinds of stupid stuff in there. You're not obligated to answer any of it. And think about what we're saying we're saying we're having a supreme court decision come down on whether (laughs) there is a right to know whether you are a citizen of the country but before i even get to the content the idea that the supreme court should even be engaged in what questions appear is absurd on its face there's nothing in the constitution that defines the direction of what questions can or cannot be asked 
Well, they asked the question for 80 years, so obviously it was fine up to that point. There wasn't a Supreme Court decision that says we must stop asking this question. And for the record, when the decision comes out, we will read every one of the opinions and attempt to interpret it here on the public square. And you know Bob France will be doing the same thing on this broadcast. We're trying to explain to people how the court on the left side jumped through all the hoops to create this mythical authority that they have to determine all these things in regards to public policy policy it's a question (laughs) on a piece of paper it's a pretty easy question get over it It, it, i don't care whether you have it whether you don't have it it's a matter for congress and that it's it's article one article two article three makes no sense here second issue that will be at the forefront of the decision is the issue of jeremy let me try that again is the issue of gerrymandering. Or you could say gerrymandering, gerrymandering. if you wanted to be phonetically correct yes. in the founding era. Yes. It would Eldridge be Gary, Gary, named after him. Gerrymandering and the drawing of districts mm-hmm. and states and how they are manipulated to benefit one party or the other. Which they always are. They have been from the beginning, and there is no way to draw absolute neutral Districts. The last time I checked in the topography, at least driving the country the way that we do, certainly from the Great Lakes to the Florida Keys, every single quarter of every year and all the places we travel, there's not a lot of flat land out there. Uh, There are rivers, there are hills. And interestingly enough, along those rivers and along those hills and along those mountains and along those deserts, people have organized communities, and somehow they didn't check in with the politicians to know what district they were supposed to be in before they started felling trees and building communities. Therefore, you have a very uneven topography. You have a very uneven pattern of development that has nothing to do with politics. And now you lay a political representative grid over top of that, and it will never be mathematically, morally, or politically neutral. Well, it is an impossibility. And there's a big fight in Ohio regarding this because we passed the constitutional amendment. Yeah, that will change how we draw districts starting after the 2020 census. And that, by the way, is not a bad way to attempt it. It it, it represents the consent of the government, and it will fail if the objective is moral neutrality and perfect balance, because it's impossible. Because people are always, it's fluid. People are moving from one place to another. Communities change. The demographics change. But the parties out of power scream and yell, it's not fair, it's not fair. Then we change the system, and then the other party will scream and Mm -hmm. yell. And here's the greatest irony of the whole thing. They're trying to base this on political registration. And the reality of the matter is, most people in Ohio aren't a part of either political party. Would you be? I'm not. Neither am I. I pulled mine. I went the last time, uh, well, actually, it was a couple times ago, to the primary, and I was so frustrated that I said, yeah, I'm going to be non-aligned. I'm going to be an independent voter. That's how it's going to work. That's how it's going to go down. That's what we talk about every day. That's what I'm going to do. My last voter registration in a primary was 1998, and I voted in the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. In 1998. And a few people just drove off the road right now in Cuyahoga County listening to this. And prior to that, I had been registered as a Republican. In 1998, there were a number of people running in this county who were pro-school choice, and they were in the Ohio legislature, and I had the opportunity to vote for them. And they were Democrats. And I crossed over and voted for them because I believe so strongly in that issue and the leadership they were providing in the Ohio General Assembly. And then after that, I've been an independent ever since. I have never been aligned with a party. Isn't that how it should be, though? 
Isn't that how it should be? We can be free to make those choices. The letter next to someone's name doesn't matter when they agree and align with what we believe and what we feel. That's how it. What is this political circumcision? Once I, you know, what, 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 what are we talking about here? Honestly, this is how people hold this concept of party alignment. This is stupid. We started a country without political parties. George Washington and John Adams told us it was the worst thing we could ever do would be to let the country be divided factionally among two political parties. Now we've done it, and it's not working. Well, why does the truth sound so alien to us? It can be tough. We need to write the Supreme Court and ask them if they would decide what the truth is, and get they'll get back to us in 8 to 12 weeks, and that'll be the decision. All right. Well, hey, we made it through one hour. We made it through one hour. We're going to have one more to go. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.